0: This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final
1: demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition of Reinvention Radio. Where am I? Am I here? Can I hear me? Am I I I alive? I can hear you. I can, can hear, you hear me clearly now? now the rain is gone. Are we good? We're good. Hey, yes we are. what is going on, Richie Ote? How are you? The beard is almost back. Oh, uh, it only takes a couple of days. <laughs> the beard is back. I need back. to.
0: Unabashedly dismantling. <laughs> unabashedly I've never disbandly. used that word. I was to sitting there listening <laughs> to anyone it. anyone
1: like, ever use it unabashedly in a sentence? Like, when's the last time you actually used unabashedly in a sentence? I don't know, but sentence? I love
0: the way it sounds.
1: It just it's a, it just flows, right? It's like there's yeah. certain words that just flow properly off of the tongue. That's one of them. All right, man. Good hanging with you, Richote. Really glad you are here. Good to see you. And uh, Mary Goulet is out, um, I believe, actually at a, a wedding in Florida. It must be some sort mm-hmm. of uh, niece or nephew or... Someone, I mean, it can't, it, like, unless it's like a second or 20th marriage for one of her friends, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> right? But who goes to Florida in, in, in August? Like, there's, there's, there's lots wouldn't. of reasons to go to Florida, but being That's, there in the middle of August is not, no. not one of them. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, what's going on, my man? Holding down in the studio. Yeah, and. and-
2: uh, don't they have those mosquito gators down there where the mosquitoes have crossbred with the alligators or something?
1: <laughs> I, be the, I, I, so I, I, alligators I, that can fly?
2: Yeah, I, I saw it on the internet. So <laughs> I oh,
1: know it must it ha- be true. Exactly. Yeah, no fake news there at yeah. all. And uh, Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. So we, uh, we miss you, Mary. We'll see you next week. And uh, in the meantime here... We are going to have some fun. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Just when you think we've covered everything that we could possibly cover here on Reinvention Radio, we find that we haven't even scratched the surface, so to speak. And uh, There's
0: almost a pun in there.
1: There's almost a pun in there. And reality is that there are so many interesting people out there doing so many incredible things. And mm, in the future here, we're... Going to be tackling uh, a little bit around the homeless uh, issues that, uh, mm-hmm. that I've become very aware of after our more recent trip to Portland. Not that I wasn't aware of homeless being in Chicago for 44 years. Speaking of which, I don't know how you could be homeless in Chicago at all for any length of time, just given the craziness of the weather there. But after we came back from Portland. You totally uh, understand it here. Here I get it. Yeah, you're like oh, by the beach, right? So we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be tackling lots of fun stuff uh, over the, the next little while here on Reinvention Radio, and a lot of serious stuff of, uh, as well, including tackling some of these issues around reinventing homelessness. Uh, and we're just we're just in the process of launching our new show uh, as well, uh, which is called Beyond Eight Figures, which specifically features entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than ten million dollars. Uh, or currently run businesses that generate more than $10 million annually. And so that is a super uh, fun show that we just started doing. The official launch is going to be uh, at the end of August. So even by the time you hear this, we should be pretty close to pulling the trigger on that. And we've sat down with some incredible entrepreneurs, people like uh, Rhee Tracy from Hay House, they do over $100 million a year, uh, Naveen Jain, who's a billionaire. Uh, Brian Smith, the founder of UGG, I mean, on and on and on. We just, uh, man, we just, just had some incredible guests on. We've got uh, a lot of incredible guests joining us for that as well. And we really try to unpack, or shall, we, shall I say, just really answer that core question of, you know, why do some businesses struggle to reach five or six figures and others soar to seven, eight, nine figures and beyond and really try to unpack that by tapping into other tactics and tools and shortcuts and strategies.
0: I was going to say, have you noticed or is it just me like focusing in on it that no matter which show, whether it's Reinvention Radio or or Beyond Eight Figures, how much of the success comes down to the individual leading it, like working on themselves?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, that's. And, and that's why I'm super excited to have today's guest here on Reinvention Radio. Because what we have found is that so many folks who have achieved success in any regard, whether it's in their personal life or in business, et cetera, have really had to go through tremendous trials and tribulations to get to where they are now. And uh, one of my favorite Steveisms, if you will, uh, I've got a, a few of them, but one of the ones that I say that I they, I, I try to resonate with, uh, you know, even you know, sort of drink my own potion there, if you will, is. Uh, that there really is no such thing as failure. Failure is merely success with an unintended ending, right? And uh, and that's a lot of what we see on our guests in terms of who joins us on Beyond Eight, Figure, Beyond Eight Figures, uh, and of course here on Reinvention Radio. And so to that end, uh, this gentleman really has a very, very interesting story uh, of those same sorts of trials and tribulations, actually a kindred spirit uh, in terms of the fact that he has been online for a very long time. And it's, uh, we'll, we'll share some more stories, I'm sure, around that as well. But Stephen Sh- uh, Sashin is going to be joining us here right now. And actually, uh, wait, let's just go ahead and bring Stephen up. And uh, let's, ju- let's jump straight into it. Stephen, how you doing, my man?
3: I'm doing really well. And I like that you said I've just been online for a long time instead of saying I'm really old.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. And, and I say that because I have to um, – let, let's just say that I have to position it accordingly, which just basically <laughs> means I don't want to make myself seem really, really old. But what, what year did you launch online? It was way back. Oh. Um, Like 1992. 92. Yeah. All right. So we've had a lot of guests on over the years. Well, that was when you
3: could only view a website through Telegraph. Through Telegraph, right? It was, it was, yeah. My computer was
1: an abacus. <laughs> it was the uh, the old hammer and chisel. That was your website, right? Yeah, I remember,
3: I remember getting a carrier pigeon with a website.
1: <laughs> oh man! So was that? Uh, were, you, were you building on Prodigy or Netscape or? Uh, oh my God, that? I love you! Uh,
3: so uh, Prodigy, um, GeoCities. I was one of the first AOL Me. guys. I mean, I was doing stuff on IRC and um, and, and if you were in either New York. York or San Francisco. There was Echo in New York and The Well in San Francisco. These were pre-internet bulletin boards. We were doing things there, too. Well,
1: yeah. So um, not sure if you know this about me, but we actually launched on CompuServe's electronic mall in, in 1993. <laughs> I so, love it. Right there. And I will say that of the folks that we've interviewed over the years, and we've interviewed a lot of people, I don't think that anyone has been online uh that that we've interviewed uh before I came online in 93 you are the first one thank you who came online before I did so kudos yeah. to you on that man and uh and, and obviously there's a lot of ground to cover here but did you make any money In in those first 26 years (laughs) online?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I did way back then, I invented what became the industry standard word processing software for film and television writers. And so I was getting a master's in film at Columbia University. The software that existed to do all the complex formatting for screenplays was horrible, and I came up with a better idea and then uttered the five dangerous entrepreneurial words, how hard could this be, (laughs) and started a software company. All
1: right, wait, wait, wait. Now, my wife bought that type of program at one point what what was the one that was horrible and what was the one that you did well
3: i won't mention the horrible ones it's not worth it so the okay, one what I was the
1: one, what was the one that was decent but you thought you could do better
3: well, there was actually only two. There was a thing called Movie Magic and another program called Scriptor that was basically a text reformatter. And what I created was a program called Scriptware that in the 25, 20, however long, 26 years since I invented it, um, no one has able, been able to replicate the features that we created way back then to recreate what we did way back then.
1: So do you, do you still actually own that and sell that or what, what, what's your role with that now?
3: It still exists in sort of a hobbling form. We are rewriting the code. We're planning on relaunching it. If for no other reason, then we get emails on a daily basis from Academy Award winning screenwriters saying, look, it's still the best program out there. I wish you would clean it up. Um, and we actually got a call from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, who the people who give out the Oscars, yeah, saying, no, hey, look. Yeah, if you would uh, get this thing back in shape and get some market share again, there's a Technical Achievement Award that we think we might want to give you. And I would love to have an Oscar sitting on the back of my toilet.
1: Oh, how cool would that be, right? Yeah, absolutely. And
3: reality
1: is on the back, is, of, the toilet, on the back of the toilet yeah you yeah. know it's it's multifunctional um yeah but you look reality is that's probably a pretty good sass play nowadays right i
3: mean well it's a really interesting point um maybe is the answer the thing that i invented i mean this is gonna i'm gonna totally geek out for 10 seconds yeah and we'll get into but the story
1: I, what you're doing now we'll give you lots of opportunity for that <laughs> but i think where you came from is just i yeah. mean that's obviously why we do the show where you mentioned radio to talk about where you came from yeah. and where you are now so it's all relevant. No, don't, don't bury it. We want to hear. We, let's give okay. us the lead.
3: Well, it's just, a, it's just a little dorky. So what I invented is a rules-based, object-oriented, context-sensitive database that acts like a word processor. And the reason that I give you that whole context is to turn it into some SaaS application. It's a little challenging just because there's a lot in that engine. And some of the browser-based stuff does not handle that as well as we would like. But it's something we're looking into. Mm-hmm. And we can make it a SaaS application. That is definitely the play.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I would I would think that at least from my personal experience that with rare exception there there's nothing you couldn't figure out around that to to get it to operate as you would want it to and and even if you had your own shall we say like hosting type structure yeah. where you were able to uh, to to better monitor how people used it. I, the bottom yep. line is it's possible. And yeah, I well, think there's a good enough, model there for you potentially.
3: Yeah, with enough cash and enough programmers and enough time, anything is, it's just figuring out which one of those you want to sacrifice to get something out the door.
1: Okay, let me help you here real quick here. Launch the fucker again, get the <laughs> os, get the Oscar, and right. then go raise the money. Right. I, mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I don't think you'll have any problem raising it if the Academy of Motion no, Pictures no, no, no. is right.
3: It's not, about, it's not raising the cash, the money. It's literally, if we are going to do it as a SaaS play, the cost for the extra programming and the extra infrastructure to do that may may get in the way of that first part of launch and get the Oscar. So that's the thing we're juggling. We'll see. It's (laughs) suffice it to say it's still a really robust application. One of the things that I'm looking forward to is that when we launch it, I'll be doing videos comparing our software to the competitors, but not the current software. I'm going to Mm -hmm. be comparing the competitors with what we did in 1992 wow. to show that they still can't do what we did way back then.
1: Yeah, it's fun, man. And But let me ask you a question because it brings up a really important point, which is, all right, let, let's be honest here now. This is something that you created. Yeah. It's something that still holds potential. Mm-hmm. But you've run <laughs> – there's the pun um, – but you've run in a completely different direction, right? So, mm-hmm. and we'll And we'll get to the current direction, but do you still – have any love for it do you still have any bandwidth for it or do you just not want to see it die
3: uh both I think for me, the product is more important than the me part of it. And the product deserves to live. The customers who who love the product, I don't want to leave them in the lurch with something inferior. Do I still have uh, the the whatever it is to get going with that? Absolutely. Because I love being right. And um, getting that statue to sit on the back of my toilet would be kind of evidence of that. It's more than that, really. It's just the right thing. The reason that I've Taking the hits that I have with that company and with that product is because I want to do the right thing by the product and the customers who've come to love it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what really gets me out of bed with when I think about that one.
1: Yeah. So we're talking to Stephen Sashin, and, and nowadays your well, your your claim to fame, so to speak, is zero <laughs> zero shoes. Uh, X uh, yeah. X like X ray E R O zero shoes, and and this was born. Uh, again, out of necessity. I mean, I, I guess we should yeah. take a step back here and, and just say, were you an aspiring screenwriter? Were, did you, were you in that business? Is that why you started that yeah. company?
3: Yeah, I was um, getting a degree. I was getting a master's in film at Columbia University. I had was writing screenplays. I won a couple of awards. Um, and I was just really frustrated with the experience of Again, screenplays have this very arcane, ridiculous set of formatting rules and to get something into the right format, because if you don't have it in the right format, no one will read it. That's the sign that you're not mm-hmm. uh, not serious and don't know what you're doing. Sure. And to make, to get things in the right format was just really getting in the way of my creative process my uh, my background as an undergraduate i did i did research on cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition so my weird brain um, is very attuned to what's happening in my brain when i'm trying to do things with my body and so one day in the shower i was thinking if i was using a typewriter these are the patterns that i would be doing and now i just have to get rid of some of those extraneous keystrokes with some intelligence basically I made it so that each different element in the script, a character name or dialogue or the action, the thing that you describe what's happening on the screen, each one of those elements is intelligent and knows how it relates to other elements and how it relates to the page. So it did all that super complex formatting completely automatically, completely on the fly, with no macros, no extra keystrokes, just tab and enter like a typewriter, but even easier. And so that's how that all happened. And ultimately, where you're possibly leading, similar thing with Zero Shoes, what led to this was that same thing of um a personal necessity that i knew was not uh, where it wasn't personal It wasn't just me who was having the issues that i was having who needed the solution that i came up with
0: yeah i mean this is richard for a second here i uh i was thinking back first the first one you mentioned i used it yeah i didn't like it i worked in television film for 13 years um love the concept so if you do get it going again why not just go for the gusto and throw voice on there too so you can uh, you know I, I mean now you can just yeah, speak Yeah I actually I actually
3: come yeah, I've actually come up with something that's even better than that in that same vein that I can't talk about any more than that. Uh,
1: yeah, it just, it goes, just into the mind, it. it goes into the mind of Steven Spielberg, and it just literally takes all of his ideas <laughs> and puts them well, onto you know, print in the paper and then puts your name on it. That's no, awesome. No, no. And, copyrights. Know, and, <laughs>
0: and
3: copyrights. And copyrights. I, I, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, one day I was at the in the Universal <laughs> Commissary, and I had a box of um, scriptware sitting on my, my lunch tray, and a guy standing next to me said, ooh, is that that software that writes the screenplay for you? Mm. And my first thought was, no, you moron. And my second <laughs> thought was, Oh,
1: my God, i got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. So, so born out of necessity, obviously, the first yeah. endeavor born out of necessity, the current endeavor born out of necessity. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But there's obviously a lot of time in between there. Where did you end up cutting your chops then over the last couple of decades? Uh, well, I mean, we don't have to go into the lowlights, but i mean, what are some of the highlights around that?
3: Well, um, from 2000 to 2009, my wife and I were retired. So between things that money I'd made from scriptware, from some investments, we had done some clever real estate investing, from some internet marketing things that I had going that were generating additional revenue. At one point, uh, the big thing though was, We I owned a condo here in Boulder, Colorado, and we kind of sensed that the market was topping. And so we decided to sell it and made a bunch of money selling the condo. And I turned to my wife, Lena, and I said, we have two choices. We could buy a house and we're still on the hook for three grand a month worth of a mortgage, or we could find something to, we could take that money, put it into the real estate stuff that we we're doing. And the money that that's throwing off would pick up the tab for rent. So we'd basically be off the grid. And that's as long as the conversation took for us to go and we're retired. Mm. And so that was the gist of that. And during that phase, um, I still did some things. People asked me how I figured out what I figured out about money in business. And I created a class about that. I had developed some really unusual meditation techniques and someone asked me to teach a class about that. So I did that as well. Um, but it was pretty much retired mode for nine years, which, by the way, I highly recommend.
1: Yeah. No, I got you, man. I uh, am I'm not in a terribly dissimilar place at this moment and, and have been that way. I mean, my my personal objective was try to be with my kids as much as I could, you know, during their formative years, which evidently is every damn year is a formative <laughs> year. It doesn't ever yeah. seem to change. Uh, no. Love them. But, I mean, my God, that never does change. They're all formative years but anyway i'm uh you know I'm at the point now where I'm starting to get that that juice back where it's like mm. you know maybe I want to do something larger again, get back into some things so what what was it for you where it, that's kind of that 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 nozzle or the faucet or whatever you want to call it, you turned you know you, you
3: turned it back on
1: there where you're like jesus i got I gotta do something else here what what was that moment
3: yeah, it was called going broke uh, <laughs> what happened was let's do it in, yeah. so yeah, it's a big motivator. So in fact, it's funny, um, before well, we had, we had a couple months of, of I'll, I'll do this in a, in a non chronological order. We had a couple months worth of money left. And I said to my wife, unfortunately, we're not totally broke yet. If we were totally broke, there's a lot of things that I could do to bring in money that I don't want to do or don't like to do, but I know they would work. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, but I can't do those things unless we have no other option. Now, what put us in that situation going back in time was again, we were doing some very clever real estate things that we started doing in in 99, 2000. Mm. And in 2006, we couldn't get any more good deals. And we saw that the the deal flow was changing. And, um, our last friend said they were getting into real estate. And I called our partner in this and I said, my last friend says they're a real estate investor. It's going to be like the crash of 99 in the market. And he goes, funny, you should mention that, you know, there are no good deals because the people, people have figured out what we're doing and they're overpaying for what we're doing. So we started selling everything in 2000, uh, 2006, 2007, crash happened. Uh, so what was our cash flow that was allowing us to retire became a wad of cash, but it wasn't going to hold us. Mm-hmm. And so th- there was, there was this interesting combination of a little bit of desperation where I had gotten, i started a search engine marketing business. Cause I've been again, doing this stuff since 92. And then something happened. I'm going to tease it like that. That was then the inspiring thing for switching from search engine marketing to starting zero shoes. You want me to just jump into that part?
1: Well, yeah, and and I think that the reality, though, for our listeners here, is the wake-up call was you know you realize that there was uh, sort of a, an end of the rope there for you in terms of you know we can only go so far on this, and you're going to have to be doing something yeah. else. So you 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 kind of rode that horse as long as you could, and but you were smart enough to see the light at the end of the tunnel where you got to get back into yeah. this thing. Okay, yeah,
3: good. Well, now now here's the here's the part where it makes a decidedly left turn, or just to uh, do a, a callback to twenty minutes ago unabashedly makes a left turn thank you so um what happened is i let's see i'm 56 right now when i was 45 so 11 years ago whatever year that was 2007 i got back into sprinting after a 30-year break not running sprinting i run the 100 meters i go in a very straight line very fast i don't even take turns i'm not even sure if there is another side to the track I, um, so that was my thing. But after a 30 year break, I was pretty much getting injured constantly. And after a couple of years of this, a friend of mine, who's a world champion cross country runner said, why don't you take off your shoes and see if you learn anything from running barefoot? And what I learned, I'm going to abbreviate the story a bit, what I learned is exactly why I was getting injured and more I learned naturally how to correct that because what I discovered is I had a form problem that when I was running barefoot was screamingly obvious and by screaming I mean a gaping giant hole on the bottom of the ball of my left foot um, that came from a a big blister that I got. And what I learned by trying to run without uh, causing excruciating pain in that gaping wound was how to change my form so that it didn't hurt. And my running got better and my injuries went away and I became faster. I became a master's all American sprinter. So at the time, one of the fastest guys over 45 in the country. Um, Now I'm arguably for men over 56, the fastest Jew in the world.
1: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And which, by the way, you can run the 100 meter in about 32.3 seconds. And I think that would qualify you as the oldest and fastest Jew in the world. Right. I mean, I think it's uh, about what it is. As a matter of yeah, fact, that's... I don't think I could run 100 meters in under 32.3 seconds right now. There's no way
0: If you could row. retire no. at the finish line.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. If there was a bowl of my grandma's matzo ball soup waiting for me they, at the end of that finish they, line they, or the carrot cake, I could uh, probably get under 32, but not by much.
3: Yeah. Well, I do it about 20 seconds faster than that. So yeah, that's impressive. Um, So that was how it began. And and just that whole experience of natural movement of using my feet instead of having them cramped up in, uh, you know, a padded motion controlled shoe that squeezes your toes together and jacks up your heel and doesn't let your foot move or what we affectionately refer to as a foot coffin uh, by letting my feet move naturally. You know, that's what made the difference. So I wanted that experience. And I knew about the Tarahumara Indians, who are a tribe in the Copper Canyon of Mexico, who run either in bare feet or in sandals. They make out of straps of tire. They strap to their feet with some leather laces, and they run hundreds of miles. Um, they run pain free and enjoyably into their 70s and 80s. And so I did my version of that shoe. I found some rubber from a shoe repair place. I got some cord from Home Depot. I whipped up some a lacing method that I kind of you know modified from someone who was inspired from seeing what they did online. And people said, hey, I want a pair of those. And then they told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends. But the pivotal moment was when this local barefoot running coach said, I've got a contract to write a book about barefoot running. And if you treated this little sandal making hobby like a business, you know, had a website, I would put you in the book. Hmm. Uh, So I, my brain lit up. I've made maybe 500 websites. I rushed home. I pitched this idea to my wife and she goes, oh, that is a horrible idea. Do not do that. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Won't make anything because we had made like you know fifty bucks at that time from. Wait, hold on. We got to
1: back up for a second. I just want to because yeah. here's so here's where the mm, <laughs> the rubber meets the road. Um,
3: yeah.
1: But no, here's where it gets really interesting, right? Because okay, so you're a guy with an idea. You're not doing anything full time at this yeah. point. I mean, you're just getting out of real estate. You're you're trying yeah. to figure out how to you know move forward. You're running. You were a sprinter. You did really well in all of that uh, when you were younger. You started mm-hmm. running again. Started getting hurt. Out of necessity, you're like mm-hmm. Jesus. There's got to be a better option here. You, st- you're, you're not an engineer. I mean, obviously, you're a smart dude. You got the degrees, and the, I mean, and maybe,
2: God, I mean, Thanks.
1: the pedigree is there. But in terms of manufacturing or putting uh, together a prototype or something yeah. of that nature,
3: yeah, yeah, no, it's way simpler, way, way simpler. So, what we, so let me, let me, because uh, there's a lot of
1: people that. out there with ideas. I mean, there's a lot yeah, yeah. of people, like you know, the blanket with sleeves, right? I mean, like that, you know, there was 50 million people who had that idea, and one guy who said. Forget this noise. Let's just go and manufacture this thing.
3: Well, you, you're, you're jumping the gun to a certain extent because you're, you're calling what we were originally doing manufacturing. It was not that complicated. Mm. So here, what happened was, so first, got i, I gotta, I'll jump into it this way. So I rush home to pitch this idea to my wife who tells me it's you know, a ridiculous, horrible idea that won't make any money and is a distraction from this little search engine marketing thing that we had just started a few months earlier. And I said, all right, yeah, you're right. It's a bad idea. And she went to bed around 9 o'clock, and by 10 o'clock, I had a website up. And the, the next morning... When she kind of growled at me, I said, look, it's a a case study for search engine marketing. The people that are ranking for the keywords that I care about, they're there by accident. I can own this in about three months. And I was wrong. It only took me about two. But to your point about the manufacturing, what we were originally selling – for years, frankly, was a do-it-yourself sandal-making kit based on this 10,000-year-old idea, which means what we were doing was getting giant sheets of rubber that we were cutting into smaller sheets of rubber, going around to every Home Depot in northern Colorado to get the cord that we like to use and cutting that into smaller pieces and bundling that up and selling that with instructions on how to make this barefoot-inspired sandal. Yes,
0: so, so, user-generated products. <laughs> I love <that. laughs> it. Wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. So That's awesome. you're, you're selling people a piece of rubber and yeah. string? Yeah, exactly. And they're buying yeah. rubber and string for how much? Uh, twenty bucks. So you're selling them a piece of rubber <laughs> and string for twenty bucks. No, what was and the margin instructions. on it? and, and instructions. instructions? So we can
3: go back and retarget them and sell Plus them. Plus shipping other and stuff handling. Later. Well, so, wait, I got to tell you, the margin actually was not that good because the rubber that we were dealing with was actually really expensive. And it was good uh, rubber. It was a a Vibram rubber. It was called the Vibram Cherry. We still sell it. It's our classic kit. And a sheet of that stuff was, like, stupidly expensive. Um, So the margin was not, you know, huge. It it was good, but it was not, you know, 95% kind of stuff. So... There was definitely margin in it, but we were what we were selling is a couple of things. We were selling a kit. We were selling the superpower of learning how to make your own footwear and to have something really, really simple that you could stick in your pocket. You could use it for running an ultra marathon, or just you know being on the campsite, or as a flip flop replacement, whatever you wanted to do with it. So, uh, but. To, you know, to call it manufacturing. In fact, mm-hmm. what we were doing, we were calling around to everywhere in the country to find sheets of this material because we were going through it so fast. And one point, we called Vibram, the manufacturer, and they said, "Well, you'll be happy to know we just ordered five thousand sheets of this from Italy. It'll be here in in, in a couple of weeks." I said, "You're not going to be happy to know that we just ordered nine thousand sheets of that from our distributor, and you better find another couple thousand sheets." Mm. For a while, we owned every sheet of this material in the world, and we realized that was vulnerable, and here's where the manufacturing story came in. We knew that we had to make our own product or we were going to be at the mercy of another company for sure and we we very luckily had met socially some guys who had all started at reebok 40 years ago when it was about a tenth of the size actually less than a tenth of the size of what we are right now and they introduced us to a manufacturer in asia um, and helped us design a more elegant version of this do-it-yourself product that was a little simpler to make um, better materials, better abrasion resistance, just a whole lot of things that we, from what we had learned about how to improve the product. and, and So hold all, on,
1: hold on, hold on, hold on. So I just it, want to make sure I'm clear on this. So at this point, it's just you and your wife who has the world's best name, by the way. I have your, your wife's name tattooed on my, sh- on, on my shoulder just uh, <laughs> as, a, as an FYI because my wife's name is also Lena. Uh, oh, and we've been married now for 21 years, so there you go. But, uh, but just I'm, I want to be clear on this. So it's just you and your wife. And yeah. you're sourcing all this stuff. You're you're not there. No employees. You're, you're doing this all yourself. And, and where are you at in revenue at that point?
3: uh that's a good question i don't remember when we hired our first person and i can't remember if it was a customer service person or a fulfillment person but suffice it to say it started out in a corner of a small bedroom of our house a yeah. second bedroom and when i say corner i mean like literally on the floor uh we had to debate whether we were going to buy a table to put things on the table and then had a bigger debate about whether we needed a second table but within you <laughs> know a couple of years uh we had a customer service guy at our dining room table the fulfillment guy took over the living room the product filled the filled the rest of the house lena was in had a an office in a bedroom. I took over the basement, um, and so by you know by, I mean it moved pretty quickly. Um, I, I unfortunately don't remember the numbers. I think our first year we did hundred and change. The second year was two hundred and change. The third year was yeah. you know, we started. I mean by uh, yeah yeah. I really don't remember. I think that after three years we had done l- like total revenue up until that point of you know five hundred and change. Um, to so I know the numbers from two thousand and fourteen on, but I don't remember the yeah. early ones.
1: So 2009, that was the first
3: year. Uh, well, we started in November of 2009. Yeah. So 2010 was the first year. And to be clear, what really kicked this off was two things. One was the book Born to Run came out, which talked about the Tataroma Indians and the idea of barefoot running, and it became a bestseller. The other was a guy from Harvard named Daniel Lieberman published some research showing that running barefoot was better for your body than running in running shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, you know, a good internet marketer. I made a lot of videos showing how to do everything we were doing. I gave away the farm mm. and just let people understand how to do it. And it just happened that we were selling better materials at a better price with less effort than what you'd be able to do if you went and sourced it on your own. So you. put those couple things together, and you know, that was what really fueled it.
0: Go ahead, Richie. Hey, this is Richie. Um, quick, selfish question. After all those years, you know, since 1992 being online, yeah, and I do e-commerce now, I'm interested – what are the three tools? Knowing that much, doing SEO. I also saw the Shark Tank. By the way, it was awesome. Oh, yeah. so, um, like knowing how much you know. What What are the three main tools you use? Like, what's your shopping cart? What's your email? What you know, whatever you want to share. That
3: oh that sure. Well, um, let's start with shopping cart software. With the the simple thing that people need to know, and that is all shopping cart software sucks differently. So there's nothing way to put it. Thank you. And then, um, uh, so we're a WooCommerce shop because I like open source things. I don't like closed environments where they tell me what to do and don't give me control over look and feel and usability and data in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one thing. Uh, And that's how it started because we, and WooCommerce runs on top of WordPress. What allowed me to get the business started literally in a couple of hours was I just put together a WordPress site, modified a theme, plugged in what was then just a payment processor, wasn't even a shopping cart. It's called Equid, E-C-W-I-D. And was up and running in no time. Um, I didn't start expanding until we saw that it was a thing. Like, I mean, six weeks into this business, we realized, wow, this is our full-time job. And yeah. so we started taking it seriously and kind of moved from there. Uh, we didn't start on Woo because Woo didn't exist back then. We started with with Interspire, which was the then self-hosted version of BigCommerce. And then BigCommerce realized they were making more money and making it more easily with a SaaS play with BigCommerce rather than Interspire. So they deprecated that code and we had to switch and we switched to WooCommerce which uh, was, I think the technical term was a nightmare at first because no one really knew how to optimize it. And no one had ever had something like being on Shark Tank and then getting hit with 200,000 concurrent visitors. And we were the guinea pigs for some of the, the high use, uh, applications for that, that tool. And we're still beating it up really good. I mean, we're making changes to it on, a, on literally a daily basis to make it work better and to add features that, um, that, that are better for us in, in terms of selling and presenting the product. Um, the other biggest tool that we're using is, uh, our email service provider is Klaviyo, K L A V I Y O really high learning curve, really, really robust, yeah. uh, big, big fan of that product. And then, oh yeah, yeah. In terms of tools, um, that would, would require me to think, um, it's so we're, uh, actually the biggest one, we don't even have it in, have it in place yet. We're now at the point where we really need a very good warehouse management software because we have, we're managing our own 15,000 square, square foot warehouse and finding something that does everything you need and plays nicely with all the other tools you have. Again, a complete nightmare, um, all warehouse management software sucks even differently compared to shopping cart software.
0: It's so, so funny because it's carefree and as just down to earth of a guy as you are. You like control, don't you? And
3: then <laughs> because you've got
0: this warehouse like, too. You've got FBA. You can have Amazon do and, all that. And, I know and they and, take a chunk. And, but
3: no, no. We, need, we definitely need more. It's not that I like control. It's that we're trying to provide the best experience for our customers and make it as easy for us as we can. And you need control to do that. Mm. Uh, You can't, if you're relying on other people, Uh, I've seen Mm -hmm. people who were with – let's back up to shopping carts. I knew people who were with – using certain shopping cart software where they were making a couple million dollars a year and then the software decided to change something and it made some giant piece of code that they wrote suddenly not work. And they literally went from a couple million a year to a couple hundred thousand a year. Mm. I never want that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and with something like, um, we're also very attentive to the cost of things. So we're a bootstrap company. We started this with a couple of credit cards and whatever money we had sitting around. We never took in venture money. We didn't, take in a, we didn't do a friends and family round. And so every dollar we're spending that we could be not spending is uh, money that we don't have to buy inventory that allows us to grow the next year. So Lena is the operations and finance person, and she is really, really smart and conservative about numbers so we're always trying to make sure that we're doing the thing that's the best for us financially as well Mm -hmm. and and now i got to balance that sometimes something that's a really good offer is only a really good offer because it's not a really stable opportunity so for example getting in bed i'm not saying amazon is this but getting in bed with a warehouse that's giving you a great deal they may not might not be financed well enough to handle you or them and that great deal suddenly turns into you needing to find a new warehouse overnight yeah. so you know it's it's a lot of moving parts and we just try to keep the we just try to mm, make the smartest decisions we can about those parts knowing that no one's ever done that right
1: yeah well when you uh when you get over 10 mil we'll uh, we'll have you back on b8 beyond We're, eight figures and
3: we'll go from there yeah call, call us in the not too distant future
1: yeah so 20 2019 you feel like uh you'll break you'll break eight figures
3: Um, we're, so we did an equity crowdfunding round last year and I say that because what I'm about to tell you is the public information. Um, if, we didn't ha- if we hadn't done that, I could have made shit up and just told you whatever I wanted. But, mm-hmm. the, uh, but the reality is I've got to tell you things that the SEC knows. So last year we did 5.53. The year before we had done uh, half that. The year before about half that. So we're projecting what our, our published projections for 2018 are is 8.5. And I'm hoping – all I can say is that I'm hoping that yeah. we uh, beat that handsomely. And our projections for next year are in the high to mid uh, eight figures.
1: Nice, man. All right, let, let's do this. I want to take a step backwards because you just kind of glossed over the whole Shark Tank thing, and Richie said he saw the episode. Oh, yeah. I, I actually didn't see the episode. How did the appearance on Shark Tank come about, and you received an offer yes. that you actually turned down? So yes. step us through. First of all, how did you land an appearance on Shark Tank? Because for a company like yours, like you said, 200,000 visits in a matter of just you know a few hours or whatever— yeah. I mean, it's kind of the holy grail, and of course it's still playing, and I'm sure you still get some inbound on that. But how did the appearance come about and take us through the deal terms and why you turned it down?
3: Sure. Yeah, it is the gift that keeps on giving for sure. So we – The herpes of
1: television. (laughs) (laughs) Shark Tank, the herpes of television. I just coined that one. Let's see if we can get Mark Burnett on board. Maybe he'll pay me for that one. I doubt it. Yeah,
3: New show. New show. uh, what happened was it started by people saying, Oh my God, you guys should, should be on shark tank. And we went, what the hell are you talking about? And so then we started watching the show and we watched every episode of the original dragon's den in the UK and the original mm-hmm. dragon's den in Canada. We couldn't watch the original one in Japan because we didn't speak Japanese and we were going, yeah, we totally should be on that show. And We did the same thing. Everyone does. They watch that and they imagine themselves both as the entrepreneur giving way better answers and as the shark, you know, being way smarter. And so we didn't really know any better. And I tried to apply for the show. I went to abc.com and Um, They had a page that said, you know, send an email to the following place, not knowing that they actually only cast during a certain time of the year. So my email went into the ether and, you know, went nowhere. Mm -hmm. But then I found out that they only cast during a certain time of the year. And when they announced, hey, casting is open, I immediately sent another email saying, here's who we are, here's what we're doing. A week later, I sent a video that we made, um, same idea, here's who we are, here's what we're doing. And by, I think, sheer luck, there was 36,000 people who sent in emails that year Somebody read my email. They liked whatever I said. They called us up and interviewed us on a Thursday afternoon and said for an hour and said, "Hey, you know we we really like you, and could you make us a five minute video that answers these two hundred questions? Obviously you couldn't do that uh, and he can he get it to us by Monday?" And I said, "Yeah, not a problem, Not knowing that uh, my wife had been planning a surprise fiftieth birthday party for me on Saturday. <laughs> so she is covering up the fact that she is freaking out. And I'm like, yeah, what's the big deal? So we, uh, uh, we got the video done. We sent it in along with a very, very long application that we each had to fill out independently, even if we had the same answers for some questions, and that had to be handwritten, which was a ridiculous burden because you can't read either of our handwriting. So I hired someone on Craigslist to take our typewritten answers and write them. Uh, so we sent that all in. And then, I don't know, maybe a week or so later, they said, here's the next step. It doesn't mean we want you on the show or anything, but here's the contract you need to fill out and sign to get back to us. And the contract is com- incredibly one-sided, incredibly onerous, and they have no interest in changing one dot on that thing. So you have to decide, do you want to give up your life and let them own your story for a few years? And um, well, one of the things, it says that, that we're um, waiving our rights to sue them if we die on the set.
1: Oh, jeez! Wow. Wow.
3: What could possibly happen? And they said, no, no, no. We cobbled the contract together from other shows in Mark Burnett, uh, his production company, including Survivor. It's like, oh, okay. So we send in the contract. (laughs) And um, the next day, they said uh, they called us and said, we want you on the show. And it's going to be like, I don't know, maybe eight weeks or something, which by then we were kind of bummed because we'd gotten so excited. We thought they were going to say, we want you on fly out tomorrow. And um, but it was eight weeks and then a couple of weeks later they called and said we need you out here in 3 days mm. and so it's like yeah um now in the meantime and during this whole process we did a couple of things we read the autobiographies that every shark had written to understand who they were and what they did and what was going on we again watched every episode of every show and we rehearsed like crazy we had friends who had applied to be on the show and almost gotten on serial ceo friends who just grilled us as if they were the sharks and we we just spent you know months um pretending we were on the show and doing everything we'd think of to be there. And when you get asked to be on the show, the producers, they work with you on your pitch that first 60 to 90 seconds. But after that, it's a Mm free-for-all. And frankly, even in that, it's a free-for-all. We didn't even get through our pitch before we started getting interrupted. Mm -hmm. But that's how we got on was just someone read our email. They liked it. They called us. we something. They liked it. And yeah.
1: It? So take us through. So were you were you scared out of your mind? I mean, you're a you're a seasoned entrepreneur. I mean, you've probably spoken in front of crowds
3: before, yeah. but
1: this is a much different experience. So and, and did your wife go on with you or was it just you? Yeah. solo? again, I didn't see it. And I apologize. I probably should have looked that thing up. But, yeah, uh, but so your funny. wife went on with you.
3: Really, an oversight on your part. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, Lena went on. She was standing right next to me. In fact, um, if you watch it, you will see she is the beautiful, poised person, and I'm running around in my shorts <laughs> like a goof. And uh, I was just, well, I, you know, we were definitely nervous because we wanted to do well. We were hoping we would make a really good deal. We knew it was a big deal, but like from the moment the doors open and we walk down the hall, I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm like running down the hall practically and dragging Lena with me. And when you get there, it's very surreal because first of all, you're standing unnaturally far away from where the sharks are. Um and then there's just that phenomenon you've been watching these people on television and it's like, Hey, there's Cuban and hey, there's Damon and hey, there's Robert and hey, there's Barbara and hey, Barbara. And, hey. it's <laughs> mm-hmm. like you kind of know these people, but you don't know these people. Yeah. And You need to be careful that you don't act like they're your friends or that you know them because they are not and you do not. And if you act like they know you, the way you feel familiar with them, you'll probably say something that you would say to a friend that you should never say to a potential investor, especially one on television. So you're hyper aware of that. Um, uh, But no, I I could. And the cameras are all hidden. So you don't have that feeling of being on TV. You have that feeling of of just having to talk strangely loudly to people who are a little too far away from you. (laughs) And what happens is um, one of the sharks will ask you a question. Actually, they ask you like five, and while you're trying to answer the second, another one interrupts and you know asks you three more. And if you don't switch to them, they get mad. And if you do, the first one gets mad. And it's just a constant um, fight for attention, and for them trying to always catch you with something and kind of get you with a zinger. And um, and you, um, I don't know how to say it. I, I had so much fun. I mm-hmm. <laughs> so what
1: were the what did you come in? what were the deal terms that you came in with? So what were you asking for in terms of exchange for what uh, what equity of the business?
3: Yeah, we were asking for uh, four hundred thousand dollars for eight percent, which is a five million dollar valuation. and at that time again, we had done maybe you know just under six hundred grand in sales total. and we came up with that number for a couple of reasons in in our research, we had interviewed and talked with venture capitalists who know footwear, with private equity guys who know footwear, with people who had bought and sold footwear companies for because they owned them or started them, uh, with bankers. Uh, and we were getting valuations that ranged between 2 million and 10 million based on whoever we talked to. Mm-hmm. We also knew the show and we knew that if you offered too little, they would get mad. And if you mm-hmm. offered too much, if they started negotiating, you had talked your way <clears throat> way out of anything you'd be comfortable giving away. So, so what?
1: What in an ideal world? What would you have liked to have walked out of there with?
3: Uh, well, five million. But in the but what we were willing to do, I was willing to go down to about a two and a half million dollar valuation. Mm. And what happened? Kevin made us an offer. Um, he came back and said, "I'll give you the four hundred grand for fifty percent." And we—it was such a non-starter because we knew what our yes and no range was. It was such a non-starter that we literally forgot that he made it. And at one point, Robert says, "You know, there's an offer on the table." And we looked at each other like, "What? Oh, yeah, yeah, that thing from Kevin. All right, whatever." And Lena says, "Uh, "So, are you bringing anything to the table other than money?" And he says, "Well, you know, I'm a smart businessman, and I've got a big Rolodex." And she doesn't remember saying this, but I vividly remember her saying, "So nothing." (laughs) So nothing. And, That's so uh, funny. Yeah, and I, you know, I said, uh, "Yeah, we're, we can't say that." And he goes, "Well, you can make me a counteroffer." I said, "Well, I'm willing to go to ten percent." And he says, "Ah, you're crazy." And I said, "Well, maybe, but you know, I don't mm-hmm. think so." Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and and I would argue that we've proven that we were not crazy, For but. Sure.
1: But you've it never is. taken another dime. You told them. So on the spot, You none of the other sharks threw out offers to you?
3: No. What happened, uh, it was really interesting. Damon kept saying, love you, but it's too much money. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you a little behind-the-scenes thing. So every objection that they have when you watch the episode, and you can see it at zeroshoes.com slash shark tank, um, everything that you'll see, and pardon me, my computer is suddenly making annoying noises that I can't make go away. Um, <laughs> it's
1: it's <laughs> Damon John. you <it>, <laughs> talking about me? I got <laughs> yeah. people, man. Yeah. <laughs> so da- Damon John pissed right now that you're talking about
3: him. Go ahead. Good. Psychic. Uh, so when Damon said, oh, so every objection they have when you see the show at zeroshoescom slash Shark Tank, we hit out of the park so far that at one point Robert jumps out of his chair and he yells, you have a perfect answer for every question. And we looked at him just incredulously and said, it's our business. Right. Uh, so when Damon said it's just rubber and string, I said, Damon, you of all people know that a brand is more than the components of the product. Mm. And Cuban said, you know, it's just a bubble and it's going to burst. And I said, well, you, you know, I don't remember what I said to that. He and I got into an argument about email open rates that was really obscure and completely,
1: <laughs> completely um, irrelevant shoes. Yeah, Well, yeah. he claimed
3: he claimed that the, the emails that he sends to the Mavs newsletter list has a 50 percent open rate. And I went, no way. And we got into a whole ta- tuss- tussle about that. Um <laughs> I've actually since sent him screenshots of some of the emails that I've sent out that have had 70% open rates and, and went mea culpa. But um, <laughs> then Robert, same thing, said, you know, too rich for my blood. Uh, Barbara, you will see, she just hated me from the moment I walked <laughs> out. Mm. She said, you remind me of my ex-husband and, you know, just went on about how much she hated me and was saying to Lena, how can you be married to him? What's wrong with you? And it wow. was totally taken aback. Um, and the thing that I realized very, very quickly, you can't be glib or sarcastic on that show it never it does not end well mm-hmm. and so when barbara said you know you remind me of my ex-husband i just kind of laughed it off because what i wanted to say was you mean the ex-husband who's the one who gave you the money that you used to start the business that you sold for 60 million I'm yeah cool.
1: yikes right i know so but not a good thing to a say. sign of maturity yeah. not to have thrown that out and uh, <laughs> good
3: display of the glad you got it strength, out now though
1: right I feel much better. Now. So, yeah. <laughs> at the at the end of the day, I am sure that even though turning down that offer, uh, you know, obviously didn't work from from an economic standpoint. From oh a- no no no
3: no 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 it was great because we it, it would have been a bad deal to take it. I'm I feel I don't think it would have brought a lot to it. But when the show aired, we did about three months worth of sales in the week that followed that business. I'm Sure. And, and uh, now, the, you know, the only regret that I have is that if we did that now uh, and it was the same number, that would be. A big deal because we do that. That three months worth of sales then is what we now do in four days. Wow. So it would be it would be amazing if we could find a way back on the show. Mm-hmm. Frankly, do a follow up. Um, you know, Shark Tank, look, Shark Tank made us rich, is something I could easily and honestly say. Mm-hmm. The attention that we got from that show, the, the validation that we got in the investment community, when people see that, they really like what we did. Um, it really shows who we are and, and what we do in a way that I think is really authentic. Yep. And so, you know, we are forever grateful for that opportunity, even though it was very early on, and had we the opportunity or the opportunity to do it later, that would have been better, except there's no reason for us to, you know, have been online. Later. It wouldn't have made sense
0: hey do a little uh a little movie you got script software right so they they want publicity tell make the little thing on how they yeah. made you rich they do yeah. you I've see got, they do uh, the follow-ups and this could got, be a follow-up well, on someone that didn't get a deal
3: right mostly mostly they're doing follow-ups on companies they made deals with because they know of, about the pr value of doing that but um but i am trying to see what we can do to get a little follow-up i actually we were trying to raise some money and i I kind of gave them a good pitch for why they could have us back on a second time. Um, so we're we're trying to work that problem. We'll see if it happens. Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, and so you're still in communication then with uh, with Cuban and with a couple of those guys. Is oh that-
3: no, no, no 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 no. We they didn't know us walking on. They haven't talked to us walking off. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, we're, we're in touch <laughs> with the producers. I gotcha. So yeah.
1: man, well, it's a it's a great story, and of course, uh, more importantly, what you're creating is a is a really great brand and, and a really great product. And as you said, mm-hmm. I mean, when you focus on the on the customer, and you deliver uh, the solution to their problem you it's a winning formula man so what what's next for zero shoes and again, folks that's x e r o shoes and zero shoes is where you can go and check out all their products so uh, so what's next for you guys?
3: Well, let me sort of tell you what happened so you know we started out as this DIY sandal company, and we are now very, very much different um, to from a product standpoint we're now casual and performance shoes and sandals. That people wear for everything from taking a stroll on the beach to hanging out with your friends to running ultra marathons. And the fundamental idea, what we've done, is that we've gone back to the basics. So what I like to say to people is just imagine that it's the end of the day and you've been on your feet all day maybe and you come home and you kick off your shoes. Do you feel better now that you've done that? And if the answer is yes – it's because you've been wearing the wrong shoes. Hmm. And if you haven't accidentally gone to bed still wearing your shoes, (laughs) because you forgot you were wearing them, not because you passed out drunk, um, then you've been wearing the wrong shoes. And what I mean is... That your feet are made to bend and move and flex and feel the world. A quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body are in your feet and ankles. More nerve endings in your soles than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. You're supposed to use these things. And if you don't use them, you lose them. And that becomes things like weak feet, weak ankles. People who lose their balance, fall down, break their hip and die like my dad did three years ago. So what we're doing is going back to natural. All of our shoes are designed so their toe boxes are really wide. Your toes can spread and relax and move naturally. We don't squeeze your toes together like most shoes. We don't jack up your heel, which messes up with your posture. We don't have a whole bunch of unnecessary padding. We don't, We don't. Our shoes, you can roll them up into a ball so they let your feet really move naturally. They're low to the ground for balance and agility. They're super lightweight. The soles give you the uh, just right protection for whatever you're doing, but also let your brain have the feedback that it needs to know how to work your entire body properly. And our soles are back to the 5000 mile warranty unlike running shoes where they say you have to replace them after a couple hundred miles. Mm. So everything we do is about letting your body work naturally. What we're the question for what's next, we're trying to make natural movement the obvious healthy better choice in the same way that people think of as nat think of natural food as the better healthy obvious choice. And when you look at the reviews that we have from thousands and thousands of customers Who say things like, oh my God, these shoes changed my life, that's something you know you don't Nike doesn't hear. (laughs) That's something you don't get with most products. Mm -hmm. So what's next is continuing to make products that give people this incredible experience of letting your what we what we say, letting you live life feet first and getting more and more people who understand the fun and the benefits and the value of going back to what's natural. If you look at footwear from prior to 1970-ish, it all looked a lot like what we were doing. People were playing basketball in Chuck Taylors. They were running in things with just thin uh, leather soles. Mm -hmm. And There's tons of research that's been coming out showing how using truly minimalist products like ours, not the ones that are called minimalist that the big shoe companies made, but things that are truly minimalist like ours, can be genuinely helpful and genuinely healthy. If you look ask the big shoe companies what studies they have to show how their shoes improve performance and reduce injury, they have none, and so we're you know we're going after the 400 pound gorilla.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're going to crush them with your experience with SEO, the head start, and all the content you can make with that kind of yeah. You know. Yeah. They're, the other shoe companies can't. Even, they don't stand a chance. Is, I'm glad um, you didn't sell.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and to that end, though, are you are you going after retail? I mean, is that uh, that's got to be part of the game plan?
3: No, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> um, uh, can I, um, I? I don't remember what the what the rules are about language on this show. I'm at know? it. Awesome. If as long as you don't have an issue about syllables in a particular order, you're my kind of guy. We're All right, good. here we go. So. Right now, about 70, 75% of our business is direct online, but we are getting into retail and we are expanding that both domestically and internationally. One of the interesting things that happened is we had an order in our system, ready to go, uh, from a major brand or a major retail chain, and at the last second they pulled out. And we said, What happened? And what we've found, we're not 100% sure, but there's a lot of people who've suggested this is exactly what happened, and they had some inside knowledge, is that one of the bigger brands called up this chain and said, yeah, we don't want Zero Shoes in your store. Now, on the one hand, we lost a big order and everything that could have followed after that. Now, the problem is I've been diagnosed with a psychological condition. I have a case of the (laughs) go-fuck-yourselves. So when they did that to me, that just activated my illness and so, um, you know, we're kind of on fire about what we're going to do to um, demonstrate, you know, that we're providing it just a better product at a better yeah. price that's actually good for you. And so, retail is definitely part of what we're doing. But the direct space is our, that's our bread and butter. That's what's, and that's where the growth is happening. 28% of all sales of footwear are online right now. Mm-hmm. They're expecting that to move to 50 in the next few years. That's and true. we know how to do it better than an, a lot of billion dollar companies.
1: Yeah, we're uh, unfortunately going to have to to wrap here, man. I'm sure we could talk about this all day long. And uh, Lord knows that uh, at some point in the near future, one of those big brands that try to prevent you from getting into retail is going to be the one writing you the big check, man. So I... Really do wish you well on that. And if folks want more information, uh, zeroshoes.com, best place to get more information on the uh, company and you, Stephen, Session.
3: Yeah, that would be it. And find us on all the social media channels. We're Zero Shoes, pretty much everywhere you can think of.
1: Yeah, man. Well, really appreciate it. And, Wade, I know you had a quick question here, well, man, well, before we jump off. Just a quick comment.
2: Yep. I'm encouraging yep. people to move online communities into the real world, and that could be a great marketing strategy. You help move them from mm-hmm. online into the real-world meetups.
3: I love it. Well, really quick, we had uh, a party for our investors and a couple hundred people flew in from all around the world to just celebrate what we've done. And it was so much fun. And we actually had a scratch and dent sale with just our wear test samples and um, sample products that we developed that did so well we went, oh, we can actually start having these parties like on a regular basis sure. and get people out you know from behind their screens into the real world. It was so much fun, and that's a big part of what we want to do and, yep. and building this grassroots community is get people uh involved and having just having fun living life feet first
1: yeah man all right well, Stephen sashen thank you so much for joining us. Uh, go back and listen to the episode of uh, reinventing socks with the guys from Bombas, and maybe there's uh, a marriage made in heaven there so Really great having you on, Steve, and uh, best of luck with Zero Shoes again. That's X E R O Shoes.com. You get more information there. All right, my friends, for Mary Goulet and for Richie Ote and for White Wade holding it down in the studio and Kelly Volker holding it down back at headquarters. I'm Steve Olsher, and we will talk to you guys really, really soon here on the next episode of Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody.
2: Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.